0: Hello partners and friends, I wanted to take this opportunity to thank you once again from Leanne and I for your precious partnership with this ministry. Nearly every morning, we pray for you. We we stand in agreement for the will of God to be done, for the purposes of God to be done, for God to perfect that which concerns you. And we also believe that as you've partnered with the call of God upon this ministry, that the grace and the anointing on our lives would be added to your life. And that's why every month we send you uh, a teaching that we believe is from the heart of God to add to the purposes of God to equip you, to empower you, and for you to become everything that God created for you to be in the earth. You are on the earth for such a time as this, and only you can specifically do what God ordained for you to do in this season. Often in scripture, we find themes that describe God and his operation in the earth and our responsibility as people inside of him. And uh, to understand God, you always have to under, begin in, in the book of Genesis. Uh, this is what Jesus says in Matthew uh, 13 here. Matthew 13, this has become one of my favorite thousand scriptures It's like, what's your favorite? All of it, but uh, particularly this one, Matthew 13, 52, and this will, I believe, help set the premise for what the Lord would have us focus on tonight. Then he said to him, therefore, every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of his treasure things new and old. And so to understand, and we understand this, we also want to go with this premise, and that is that uh, God never came uh, to establish a religion called Christianity. It is a sociological expression, which is fine, but he just was never interested in that. What he came to was to establish a kingdom, and he tells us that as disciples of his kingdom... That to understand this kingdom, you'll have to understand first what he establishes in the Old, which is the, the uh, Genesis, begins in the book of Genesis, where God says about himself when time began. We know God declares the end from the beginning, he's eternally existing. And so uh, one of the beautiful things about God, he declares the end from the beginning about your life and about everything taking place in the world. That's why he can call things be not as though they are. And so when you speak as God, you have the privilege of calling things be not as though they are. And so you should be convinced that uh, what you say will come to pass, but that's a different thought. But to understand this kingdom, you'll have to understand what he first builds the foundation in, in, in the book of Genesis to establish, to understand the lens by which he establishes truth. He thinks old and things new. And then uh, we want to also make this statement that uh, the goal of God for every person in this room is to be like Jesus. The goal of God is to be like Jesus. This is no small vision. It's a, it's a theme that's been running in my heart now for months. And uh, that is this. The goal of God is not to get you to heaven. The goal of God is to, if for you to be like Him. And as a consequence, you will, you will be with Him in heaven. But it's not a small thing because if you make decisions just based on if it'll get you to heaven, then you will be ineffective on the main focus of His life for you. And then, if you, you make decisions based upon the smallest parameter, you might not get there. <laughs> Think about that. People are like, I want to I go to heaven and be with him, but they don't want to obey him here. Well, if you don't want to obey him here, you're not going there. Like, there's no one disobeying him there. <laughs> we don't like the music, we don't care. <laughs> Because in a kingdom, all subjects, uh, the, su- the opinions of the subjects do not matter. It is, it is only the, 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 the ambassadors of the king and the subjects of the king serve at the leisure of the king. And so uh, the goal is to be like him. And let's establish something else here in Luke uh, 24. So when we look here at some things we'll look at here in the Old Testament, you'll see that even through the lens of the Old, you have to see it through uh, what God intended through Jesus Christ, and because he intended it to, to, uh, to come through Jesus Christ, it's also an intention for us as well. And, and this is the two guys on the road to Emmaus. That's a, that's a full story right there. But 27 says, in the beginning, at, and, and ought not Christ has suffered these things and, and to enter his glory. And then verse 27, at the beginning, all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So it's a, it's a, fair, uh, it's a fair conclusion to draw here that when he says that, that every part of the Old Testament should be interpreted in light of the person and work of Jesus Christ. And since we are to be like him, the Old Testament or the the, the foundation, I I prefer to call it the foundation, the foundation gives us understanding of who we are to be as well. Although it's not directly related to that, obviously we're not the Messiah, but we are to be like him. Everything he does on the earth as the Son of Man gives, gives us understanding of who we are called to be. It's a very interesting uh, part about God, and that is that uh, after Jesus dies and resurrects, you never see Him do another miracle. He is so committed, and Scripture teaches this as well, right? God and His Word are one. He's so committed to His Word that even though He's God and He could violate it, but He is so integrous of His Word. That's, that, one of the ways we describe God is that He's holy. Holy, part of holiness is that He's just. Holiness has been like, uh, at least when I was a kid, is a little perverted. It's like, you know, just do the right thing and it's right, you know. And holiness is just is justice, and because of his justice, he creates you to operate a certain way. That's why holiness is beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. It's been distorted, but uh, he, he, I don't know what I was saying, but holiness is beautiful, but. Oh, oh, he doesn't, do, he doesn't do any miracles after he resurrects. Why? Because he can't violate his word that he has given the earth to the sons of man. He cannot violate that. That's why he had to come as the perfect seed as the son of man, the perfect seed in a woman. So he can't violate that word. That's how committed he is to that word, that word being operating in the earth. And so one of the themes that we, well, let's read this. But one of the themes we will look at tonight is the glory of God. And we, we see the glory at creation, but uh, let's just define the glory here. The glory, and this is a theme in Scripture that hopefully we'll understand. There's a reason, hopefully, it'll make sense of why I set it up that way. The glory refers to the splendor of God and His divine presence Glory is the aspect in a person or God worthy of praise, honor, or respect, often associated with brightness or splendor, and often seen in what we call theophanies, which basically is God's appearance to man. Several Greek wo- excuse the Hebrew word that most often we know, Pentecostals really know this one, the most common one is kabod, it's the heavy weighting, it's the weight of his glory, but it also carries uh, hadar, which is the aesthetic dimension and uh, the reason I mention that, because we'll see it here in creation, the glory of God was present in creation, the splendor of God's work, and God's uh, honor and glory over all things. The, the Greek translates this as unifies glory with its, with its manifestations, and, and the covering and the glory of God. So you actually see the glory of God in everything, and Paul writes this statement. This is, Lord, man, this statement is just full right here. Romans 1, Romans chapter 1. For since the creation of the world, <laughs> his indivisible attributes, his indivisible attributes. It's almost this, this complete paradox. I, I don't know, like, if you are bored reading scripture, please get born again tonight, Lord. <laughs> because God is a spirit. But he's got these attributes that are indivisible. But then he says his invisible attributes. So what's one of the attributes of God? He is glorious. His individual attributes also, he's not only glorious, but he in the beginning was the word, we'll read it later, and the word was with God and the word was God. So what he establishes in the creation is actually God himself within creation. I don't know if you realize that. So when you speak the word of God, you're releasing actually God himself into a situation. And so it would make sense then, that's why faith would come by hearing. Because when you hear God, you're actually hearing a part of God himself. That's why your heart jumps alive. That's why, like, that's why, like, that's why you got to say it over and over again. Like, I've said some things, like, the first few times, you're like, eh, that doesn't seem right, you know, making sense, and then suddenly, after the, that's why I got to say it a lot, because we're one step close of mental illness, uh, <laughs> n- no, really, without Jesus, we're all one step short, yeah, really, <laughs> And you say it again and suddenly it just comes alive because that God part of that word now starts to connect with your born-again yeah, spirit yeah. which you were made to obey. Yeah. So it says, <laughs> I don't know if this is so you can't wrap your mind around this. His individual attributes are clearly seen and being understood. He's saying, the things you can't see about God can be clearly seen in in things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. What's he saying? He said, the indivisible God releases himself into creation so you can see what God looks like. Say that again. The invisible God releases himself into creation so you can see what he looks like. I remember the first time I saw the Grand Canyon, I was like, this looks like a painting. This doesn't even seem real. So the invisible God creates, and what you see describes who he is. So the glory of God is evident in creation. And there's there's a reason I'm making that point, because I want to make the point Genesis 2, Revelation, there are ongoing themes, and one of those themes is the glory of God. Genesis chapter 1, well, let's just read also Psalm 19:1. the heavens tell of the glory of God, and their expanse declares the work of his hand. Also, really interesting to note that heaven is a created place because God is a spirit. He doesn't need a place to live, but he chooses to live in this place called heaven so you could see, at least in picture form, God always displays natural things that would give you an understanding of the invisible world. The reason he does that is because that faith is supposed to form an image on the inside of you of how you see, because what you see on the inside of you is supposed to go out of you to become what you see on the inside of you. But you're supposed to see it first. So Jesus would describe natural things that you could understand the kingdom of God by. Because if you could see it with your eyes and believe it, then it could become the world that you lived in. So when time began, God created Genesis 1, the earth, and the earth was without formless, and emptiness and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God... Was hovering over the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So you'll see heaven's a created place. We know He speaks the universe into existence, and as He's speaking, He's releasing Himself and He is releasing His glory into creation. And he's releasing his glory into creation. And uh, I would like to, I don't know if this is going to be possible in heaven, but I would like to go back to the original day of creation because it was filled with the glory of God. There is a reason, there is a reason that uh, one of the descriptions of uh, many times when you read about moves of God, and I remember... um, Uh, walking on the grounds many years ago at uh, the the Brownsville Assembly of God in Pensacola, Florida. And I remember walking on the grounds and there was literal, like this literal weight of the glory of God there. And there was something so drawing about that and something so powerful about that. And the reason humanity is drawn to things like that is because it it is an a eternal thing inside our human spirit that longs for the day of original creation because that's the place we were supposed to live from. So the, the reason we are so drawn, that's why he calls himself the desire of the nations. I do not buy the wisdom of man that has hijacked the mindset of many leaders in America. Like, people are not interested in long services. You know, they just want to get in and out and we just do the best we can and just... No, they, they don't want, maybe they don't want to go to your service for three hours. <laughs> That's really the truth. And I don't believe in creating environments. I don't think something has to be long to be God, but I don't believe in creating environments to the lowest common denominator either. Come on. He is called the desire of the nations maybe what you're, what you're expressing in your corporate gatherings is not a good representation, so they don't want to be around that very long. And he told us. He told us how it would work. He gave us insight. He didn't say that. He didn't say what they say right now. Some leaders, not you. Not the person next to you. Not You're here for a weekend. <laughs> but <laughs> not anyone in this room. <laughs> He didn't say, it's going to be so hard to reach America now. <laughs> really, but nobody's interested. You know? <laughs> got to make it quick. You know, they're all used to very quick things now. You know, <laughs> you know the, the, the research shows that. He said, the harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful. And then he told us, what? The laborers are few. So the goal is to be the most, you know, one of the definitions there of labor is skilled in purpose. The laborers are few. So he releases himself in creation and then, and then he, 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 uh, he gives us even greater understanding in this. Then God said, let us make man in our image. Image, likeness, resemblance, pattern, that's what he's saying. So man as an image bearer carries the glory of God. In fact, it was one of the points, uh, I think a great point that John Calvin made and he made this point that even unborn again people carry what he described theologically as common grace. And, and I think it's a great point in even how I try and relate to people. And is this, that even if somebody's born again, even if they're like a liberal Democrat like Nancy Pelosi from California, <laughs> having a little fun with some of you, Yeah, have a little fun here (laughs) see some of you looking anyway (laughs) they carry the image of God because they are made in the image of God every human being is made in the image of God and so they because of that they carry dignity and they carry a dignity by which they should be addressed so they carry the glory of God and so not only they carry the glory of God, but it was supposed to rest on the character of God, and then does something else. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over all the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So image is that image, is that glory that was put upon man to rest upon man, and then that image is also the character of God, so... Man was given the character of God, and then given dominion for service to the world. So our dominion responsibility rests upon the character and the nature of God. A lot of uh, even, and I understand why, because it's sometimes it's very twisted. Sometimes even from from, I don't think it's bad in t- intentions. It's just like uh, you know, dominion is not about like like getting rid of all the bad people you don't like in the world. Dominion is about taking, first of all, you have to take authority over your own life. That's the reason so many people are like, you got work out your own, that's the, that's the foundation place. And then, because you've taken responsibility for yourself, you want to serve the world through the image of God on the inside of you. That's what true dominion is. You take authority and you refuse to believe that what's taking place in your family's life, in your workplace, you take authority to serve the world around you even when it's evil people. I know, I know personally, I know that there are spirit-filled people. I was actually just joking a moment ago. I'm very careful what I say, but there there are spirit-filled people working for Congress people that I can't even mention their name. You 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 know, you like, no way, and they're in inside, and what are they doing? They're serving with the image of God and taking dominion over that place. And there's a reason I'm saying that. Hopefully it'll make sense in a minute. But you'll see here, uh, Genesis 2, verse 10. And I want to point this out because you'll see again the glory of God is in the original creation. Now, a river went out to Eden of water from where it parted and became four river heads. The name of its first was Pishon, it is one which skirts the whole land of Havilah and there is gold. So, he puts gold in original creation. He puts gold to also to me as a physical representation of the glory and the splendor he intends in original creation. So you'll see, you'll see again a pattern here. Uh, when Jesus tells us to pray on the earth as it is in heaven, he was praying that God's original design would be re- restored into the earth. The original design. The original design is not for believers, in my opinion, to live from miracle to miracle. It was has lived doing the impossible on a regular basis but because you are whole in your mind in your heart never arrive. but you can bring others into wholeness and so the call when he tells us to pray on the earth as it is in heaven is a call to restore the earth not just to original design but to a greater place why is it a greater place because this was just the beginning this was the foundation of what he desired This was not the height of everything, but it was a pretty good start. And you'll see another thing that happened that, in we won't look at the verse there, but Genesis 3, verse 8, we find after the fall that man walked with God in the cool of the day. Some, uh, there's many different interpretations of what that actually is, but we know that, uh, but it's very likely, some people think, that Jesus actually walked with them in the garden. He came as a physical man and he walked with them and he instructed them in that way. Others believe that uh, this is just different thoughts of what's taking place. We don't know for sure from Scripture. We also notice, too, in uh, Genesis 2, let's read this here, a very interesting thing, and I think it's really, really key even to understanding our new creation in Genesis 2, uh, verse 25. And they were both, if you're from the south, you say naked. If you're from the north, you say naked. (laughs) And man and his wife were not ashamed. I think God puts that in there very particularly because he wants us to know, and and then again, there's different viewpoints on what's happening there. Some people believe that there was such a glory in original creation, they actually couldn't even see their physical bodies. I don't know about that. I think it's, there's probably some truth to it. There's a glory on the earth. Then there's this other, there's this other idea that I think that it, it, one thing I am convinced of is this, that the reason that they could look at each other, first of all, God wants us to know the mind that he gave them. There was no guilt. There was no shame. There was no fear. What are one of the common characteristics of the world system? Guilt. Fear, regret, all those things characterize, unfortunately, even believers, but most unsaved people. And great pain and trauma can even motivate people to do great things. But you'll see the mind that they were given. They were never meant to live with guilt or shame. But there's this purity and there is this interaction they have with God. The reason I'm pointing that out is because, first of all, you'll see that not only does God tell them how that world is going to operate to teach them how to have dominion in the earth, it is... Uh, it is the interaction with God. It is they were made in the image of God. They were made in the glory of God. And when they looked at what God God looked like, they could see how they were supposed to act and how they were supposed to operate. So there's this interconnection of fellowship between God and man that the glory of God would increase upon man as they saw the glory of God in God. And you'll see they're not little gods but they are operating exactly how god operates what did god do he you notice the theme too i encourage you to look at it in genesis 1 uh he spoke and he saw i believe god saw things before he spoke it and so he was like oh that became exactly how i spoke it and then in genesis 2 He gives the privilege of man acting like God. His belief system is in operation. He trusts God and he names the animals. Now he was a little confused about the cats but he he was working. He was like, are you sure you made that? (laughs) Maybe they were nicer before the fall but, you know. (laughs) Except Moses. I like Moses. He's with a few. Her cat is making me softer towards cats but, but he's extending the glory of God. But then in Genesis 3, we'll see too that man is this dwelling place for God and as he cooperates as the dwelling place of God, he extends the dwelling place of God through creation. And you'll see that his, his, his thoughts and his belief system, the belief system that Adam has uh, uh, when, when he... he when he believed, when Eve believed the wrong thing, and then Adam believed the wrong thing, it, it, it affected a number of things. Number one, their minds, uh, immediately they feel shamed. It's one of the results of sin. And so that's a key point to remember because God does not shame people. God convicts people and then gives them a hope out of that shame. So if you have shame, it's not from God. Many people suffer under the yoke of a religious spirit thinking God is reminding them of all the bad things they go. Now, the truth also is that there are consequences for your choices, but God loves to redeem all your consequences. That's the other side of it. Sometimes people are like, well, you know, I asked God for forgiveness. Well, no, there's still a fruit that you're going to reap. Now, God's going to help you through it. He's going to be kind. He's not the one, you know, like trying to blow you up. But you, you, you have to realize that your choice has now, uh, has now allowed and brought something into your life. Now, the good news is God will redeem that. But guilt and shame are not from God. You'll also notice the power of their ability to, their, their beliefs define what happens in the world. Your beliefs define what happens in your world. Wrong beliefs. Body corrupted. Now you'll also notice we, we are three distinct parts, much like God. We are a spirit, soul, and body. Three distinct parts. Not, obviously, we're not little gods, but you'll see The Godhead functions in synchronization with each other. Your body is supposed to function in synchronization with yourself. Every part of your body and the things that you sense and the things that you feel are actually God given. Your body is not a bad thing. Obviously, you will will not be in your body, you know, for eternity. But your body right now is extremely important. God gave you emotions to often as this reason why it's so important to have a sanctified heart because your emotions will often tell you that something's wrong. They will give indication. That's why it says when your senses are fully trained, you can discern both good and evil. But often if you look at it one-dimensionally, and I understand because you know, sometimes uh, it, it will be often taught, you know, don't go by your emotions, don't go by what you feel, and there, there's a truth to that. There's an element of truth, it's just not the only truth. The reason often that comes is because the early Pentecostals would wait till they felt something and God was doing something, <laughs> you know, that type of thing, and then people did crazy things in the name of what they felt. I feel it, so it must be right. So so it kind of went the other way. But your emotions, you're not led by your emotions, you're led by your spirit. But when your emotions are coming under a sanctified heart, they actually give you clues to what's taking place. So their beliefs gave legal authority for the enemy to operate. And obviously their purity was distorted. But here's a a theme that I've come to uh, really appreciate about God. God's passion for the earth to be like heaven did not change. His passion for his glory did not change. And you'll see that he finds a man. He finds a a man and he, he finds it, first of all, he finds Abraham and then later Moses to redeem the people of God. And one of the things about Moses is that he is this this man of encounter. He's this man that encountered God, and what happens? He encounters God on a mountain, the glory of God comes, and the glory shines on him. Notice, though, what 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 one of the primary assignments given to Moses? He was given the Ten Commandments and then later the law. And I believe God is establishing a pattern. He's saying. When I have friends in the earth, I want to tell friends how the earth is supposed to operate and then they can tell other people and I put my glory on a man because my glory is in those laws and if you abide by those laws, the earth will become exactly like I want it to become because the earth is also a place for my glory. and you'll see one of the ways that he defines the people of god is by the glory of god look at uh, exodus 24 verse 16 and the glory of God rested on Mount Zion, and the cloud covered it six days. And On the seventh day, he called Moses out of the midst of the cloud, and the sight of the glory was like a consuming fire on the top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. So Moses went into the midst of the cloud and went up into the mountain. Moses was on, uh, on the mountaintop for 40 days and 40 nights. Now notice he also does something else. Here's a command that he gives Moses uh, very next chapter, Exodus the 25th chapter. According to all that I show you, that is a pattern on the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furnishings, so shall shall you make it. So Moses is commanded to build this tabernacle. And if you understand, it's going to be referred to as the tabernacle of Moses. And uh, when he uh, builds this tabernacle, we'll see in a moment, the glory of God comes. But the tabernacle is a replica of what existed in heaven. And then what does he do, though, here? Uh, I'm going to pull this out, too. This is how he leads them through this wilderness. I skipped ahead of myself here, but I want to look at this. The Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so as to go day by, to go by day and by night. And he did not take the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. I believe he's, he's giving a physical sign that he says, I want my covenant people to be marked with glory. Then the tabernacle is finished. Look at Exodus 40 now. Look at verse 34 And the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting because the cloud rested above it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Whenever the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle, the children of Israel could not go onward in all their journeys. But if the cloud was not taken up, they did not journey till the day that it was taken up. Notice they're not moving until that presence goes. But the presence is a down payment for what he wants in the earth because he tells Moses when they fail to go into the nation of Israel, He's prophesying, he makes this prophecy. He says the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of God's glory. He's not saying a place anymore. Now he's prophesying about the earth because it's his consuming passion from the beginning of time. So the glory of God fills the tabernacle, and then there's this guy called David, the man after God's own heart. David, one day, if you know the story, he is, uh, he's got a really nice house, really nice house, got a lot of wives, he probably doesn't know their names, and then other women, (laughs) Some of you are looking at me like you're still in the Sunday school version of those stories. But he had other women. So, but it's a true story. Anyway. And he has put the Ark of the Covenant, which is symbolic of the presence of the Lord. Because he's this prophet. And, and again, watch the, the pattern here in Scripture. He's a prophet, priest, and king. And he sees into the future. He sees there's going to come a time where it's not about the sacrifice of uh, bulls and goats. There's going to be an open door for all people to come into the presence of God. So he puts the Ark of the Covenant and pays musicians 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and they were skilled. (laughs) Skilled. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Some people, skilled, yes. Yes. And they're worshiping the Lord 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and I believe it was a prophetic picture so people could see what God was gonna bring in the future, that everyone could have boldness and access to be in the presence of the Lord. But he's like, it's in a tent. He's like, I wanna build you a place. The prophet, first, Nathan says to him, he says to him, go do all that's in your heart. And then he changes around and he goes, no, you, you've shed too much blood. And that's a, that's a really good maturity point that God could adjust the things that he's told you. The goal is intimacy, not doing the stuff all the time. But here's the heart of David, a man who lives for eternity the rest of his life his confession is i'm going to build a a temple for the lord knowing full well god has already told him he's going to leave the earth your choices are supposed to still be in effect after you leave the earth if they're made for eternity and he spends millions of dollars and then we read much of his instruction to his son his, his last part of his life is spent instructing his son to guard his heart, to do these things, because if you follow these things, you'll live a long life. And so they, they, he, he transitions, and, and the Bible says that he finished the purposes of God for his generation. And one of the things, though, that happens is you'll never find one scripture in the Old Testament or the New Testament where it says God told, them, God told David to build this temple. But the idea is he found the man after his own heart. There's a co laboring role in friendship with the Lord where you can partner with the Lord. There's a lot of things where I've asked the Lord, What would you like to do? He's like, What would you like to do? I'm not telling what God to do, but when he knows that you have your heart, there's a creative expression. There really is. You should never criticize even certain things that people do, because you don't know the decisions they've made in their surrender to the Lord. So the glory of God fills that place. Look at First uh, Kings chapter eight, verse 10. And it came to pass when the priest came out, almost the same scenario came out of the holy place, that the cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priest could not minister because of the clouds for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. And Solomon uh, spoke, the Lord said he would dwell in the dark cloud. I have surely built you an exalted house and a place for you to dwell in forever. I also want you to notice the prophetic pattern as well, that when God builds a place or finds a place that He has ascended to. His glory comes. The biblical pattern is, when, it is when, it, when, when the parameters are correct, His glory is there. And now it's raining. So now there's a reason we set up the concept of Jesus because we know that Jesus was the first man since Adam to express God's original intent. Jesus was the first man since Adam to express God's original intent. Everything that Jesus does in his public ministry is... In obedience to the Father, filled with the Holy Spirit. He is, he is learning things according to John 8. How is Adam supposed to be educated? He was supposed to learn things from his father. Jesus said, it's an amazing statement to me that it, 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 the beauty of Jesus when you see him, the humility of Jesus, the one who creates the world, puts himself in the limitations of the world so that man could become everything that God intended. How do we know it was possible for Adam to walk on water? Because Jesus walked on water. And what is Jesus called? Here's what the Apostle Paul calls him. The God, Ephesians 1, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Jesus is called the Father of glory. Colossians 1 verse 15, think about this again. You'll see that Jesus exercised complete dominion over the world that he lived in to show us what was available to us. Remember Romans 1, his invisible attributes are clearly seen and this is what he calls Jesus. What was Adam? Adam was made in the image of God. He was a glory bearer of God. And then Paul says this about him. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the image. He is what God looks like. He is the image. He is the glory bearer. And then he says, the firstborn of all creation. He is, he has come to earth to represent a new species of people in the earth that would represent the glory of God. This is how John put it. If all you had was the book of John, you could, be, it would be a lot of fun. But we got more. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. Excuse me, let's start again. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made. Uh, nothing was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And this is where it gets better. Verse 14, And the Word became flesh. Basically, he's just saying the word became human being and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. So what is he reestablishing here? He's establishing now that God is now, the, the difference between Adam and Jesus is one, I, don't, I guess if you're God, you can do this, but God actually improves upon the perfection on which he made Adam in that he walked with Adam in the garden. Now, through Jesus, he's creating this new race of people in which God actually lives in them. And he begins the redesigning of the earth by them becoming the dwelling place of God. And the glory as of of, of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And you see that Jesus himself had encounters with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Matthew chapter 3. And Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan and was baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you and you are coming to me. But Jesus answered and said, Permit it to be now so. For thus, it is is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. The whole concept of baptism was very interesting because uh, on a regular basis, the Mosaic law, they were constantly bathing, but often uh, through a distortion of what God intended, they focused on the externals. I believe one of the reasons Jesus is being baptized, I don't know them all, but here's some conclusions I've made. He's being baptized because he's symbolizing that this message, first of all, I'm identifying with John's message of the kingdom of God. I'm actually coming into alignment because that's also my message. I'm also coming into alignment that you're going to need to change the way you think and so I'm coming into alignment with that. But through his baptism he's also symbolizing that righteousness comes from the inside out in the way I'm teaching it. It does not have to do with external things but if you get your heart right your behavior will follow. Permit it now to be so for it's fulfilling to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. Then he had been baptized when he had been baptized by Jesus, here it is. Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were open. Jesus gave us that access to connect between heaven and earth. I remember years ago, I was like driving in a car, and I had this like inward picture, and I saw. Uh, the cross, of, I saw like Jesus going up on the cross and as he went up on the cross, what he did on that cross bridged heaven and earth for humanity. So Jesus bridges this world between heaven and earth to be one. And so the world of heaven is now open for you. And he saw the Spirit descending like a dove. So he's also filled with the Holy Spirit. The heavens are open for you. You can be filled with the Holy Spirit and you can start at the same place that Jesus started from. And suddenly a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. These verses are full of revelation. Jesus actually has an encounter with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And there was this resident glory that is evident on even the human ministry of Jesus. And it's a glory that you see even the early disciples invited into as the temple of the Holy Spirit. Here's how Luke put it. Now it happened on a certain day. I think the same guy said what happened was he was teaching, you know, like the Jesus stuff. (laughs) and there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee Judea and Samaria and here's just a fascinating statement to me and the power of the Lord was present I believe it's referring to the glory that rested upon his life and ministry And behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed and they sought to bring him in and lay before him. It's really interesting that Luke doesn't tell us that Jesus announced there's a healing anointing available. But it's available upon him and if they could recognize it, they could receive from it. The ability to recognize what is unseen on someone can be of great value to you. Because he's operating as the son of man. And then there's this also really interesting story that I always heard as a kid, and it would usually be taught, maybe it was taught other ways because I didn't pay attention a lot of the times, to be honest with you. So I should be honest. But Matthew 19 verse 18, while he spoke these things to them, behold, the ruler came and worshiped him saying, my daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. So Jesus arose and followed him and so did his disciples. There's a reason I just said that statement about being able to discern. And suddenly a woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years came from behind him and touched the hem of his garment. And and the reason I say because I I used to hear this story often, and there's absolute truth to this version of it. They're saying, if you can only touch the hem of his garment, you can be whole. And we also know in some other translations, she kept saying, so she got what she said. So like, just put your faith in Jesus. You know, that's absolutely true but flip it around, if we're supposed to be like Jesus, a temple of the Holy Spirit, then it's possible to open up a realm in our lives where when people touch us, I think He's also inviting us into this presence place where what abides in us touches other people. He's operating as a Son of Man, not God. I'm I, I certainly not saying it happens everywhere, but uh, I was in New York last weekend. I like New York. I don't miss the traffic, Lord Jesus. <laughs> Thankfully, I took a lot of lifts from the church because of the middle of no parking. But uh, My dear friend introduced me on Sunday because I had gone over to their, their home on, there's in between sessions. And she said, the Lord got me up at 4 a.m. <laughs> it was a late night. I think we finished at 11.30 or something. And I probably, I think she told me she's three hours of sleep. And she said, the Lord told me to go into my office. And the Lord reminded me that you were in my office sleeping. And She said, it was no, it was no accident. She said, the glory of God. The Lord told me that the glory goes everywhere you go. So, I've been saying all that to, I'm going to say a little more, but because this has been a deep prayer in my heart now for many years. I said all that to get to my prayer. Lord, make me a dwelling place for you. Lord, make me the place where you rest. Forgive me for any place I've missed it. There's a man... I heard about him years ago during renewal and he'd heard about like the tangible presence of God on on places and things. And uh, so he's like, well, I'm not quite there yet. He said, but maybe I could just start in my little home place. So he actually created this little tent in a home office and just said, Lord, I make this the place where you dwell. Do you know that was one of the characteristics too of uh, the Azusa Street outpouring. Even though Seymour was known as the face of it, it was known by just a weighted glory that would abide on the grounds. It was known as racist men coming, racist men and women who would come to a room and see Blacks and whites. One of the men that came back to Dunn was G.B. Caswell. The first night he was very offended because blacks and whites worshiping together. And then a black man the next night leads him to the Lord. In the baptism, he repents and leads him in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Do you know, um, we kind of laugh, but you think of a room filled with the presence of God, that years of mindsets and generational things and the presence of God is going, you're wrong. Paul, Saul, zealous man. Jesus comes to him, but also the Holy Spirit knocks him down off the horse because he's a gentleman, right? Yeah, yeah. That's American stuff. And suddenly this persecutor of the church becomes the greatest apostle to me ever. Here's some verses of this promise. This is, not, this is not made up. This is not like a fantasy that you, some people, it's available to. I believe it's an invitation for us this weekend to walk in what Paul said, but if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones was glorious so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of, his, because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For the, If the ministry of condemnation had the glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was glorious had no glory in this respect because of the, of the glory that excels. For what was passing away was glorious. What, were, what remains is much more glorious. For what remains is much more glorious. For what remains is much more glorious. And I just see this picture of like Jesus inviting us into the beauty of his heart tonight. I believe God is releasing unprecedented revelation to his people. It's something he's spoken to me over and over again. And the greatest revelation is the beauty of the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15 now. However, the spiritual, notice again this, this concept of natural things and spiritual things describing God. The spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterward, the spiritual. For the first man was of earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. He's referring to Jesus. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also, notice the language he uses to image, the image of. Of the heavenly man. One of the constant descriptions you read about moves of God is that it was like heaven on earth. What does he call the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit in Hebrews 6. Is called this. Hebrews 6 verse 4. If it is impossible for those who have once been enlightened. And have tasted the heavenly gift. The heavenly gift. And have become partakers of the Holy Spirit. And have tasted the good word of God. And the powers of the age to come. The powers of the age to come. The New Testament believer would know. That the kingdom they heard about this kingdom, this prophesied kingdom, the kingdom that the glory of the, earth, the the glory of the Lord will cover the face of the earth. This glory, this and, and if you if you understand too, Paul later gives. See, there's these little clues that God gives in Scripture that invites us in. For all creation groans for the sons of God to appear. Even the earth kind of knows, things are not right, but there's someone who can put us back into proper alignment, so it's like heaven on earth. And all these things, like, why, why are there like 20 different types of yellow? It's not because it impresses God, but to give honor and, and fascinate us of who God is in the earth. But they, it, this is what they knew. They knew that the power of the age to come, that kingdom that was promised has now broken into today. So what is reserved, what we know as the resurrection has now broken into today. And resurrection power through the power of the Holy Spirit has now been given to us to bring that age into today. Though not fully, but what does it look like? We've seen glimpses. Through revival, and we become the foundation stones for that. Jesus lived like this, and then we know Peter. So they they brought out the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches that at least the shadow, I don't believe that's like a little, I think it's a presence anointing. Every time I read that scripture, I always go, how close did you have to be? Was it like a mile? Was it like two? No, I'm serious. Like, how did that work? So the shadow of Peter's passing might fall on some of them. Like, what was that like? The person who could never walk. Let's go to the ice cream shop. Is there a healing service? No, we just know Peter likes ice cream on Thursday nights. And we're just going to stand out front and he's just going to walk by and it's going to happen for you. He carried the power of the age to come. Probably in my lifetime, at least personally, I'm, I'm thinking out loud here. Probably the only one that I can remember is probably uh, Benny Hinn when I would go to when he was having his large arena crusades. I remember I'd gone to, to one meeting in Raleigh, North Carolina. First time I was slayed in the spirit, he was touch <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> it's like thousands of people, you feel <laughs> for in thy presence. There is healing divine. And then he was no other power can heal, Lord, but thine. And I thought, I thought heaven has come to earth. I really did. I thought the first crusade I ever went to this is this must be what heavens look like. I'm serious. It wasn't a people like why are you going to that healing meeting? I was like, it's not a healing meeting; it's a six-hour worship meeting, and people get healed as a result of worship. <laughs> Think about that. <laughs> but I remember I went to the Nassau Coliseum. My mom, I said, Mom, I'm going to this meeting. She said, I want to come. It's a Friday, and I remember it's a morning meeting. And I said something just changed. He's here. And a moment later, he walked out on stage. I knew he was in the room. Now, another side of that is uh, often presence people are the most criticized people. Now, I'd never been in her meetings, but the only one historically I can think of that I've heard still have asked people to this day. People who've been to significant moves of God in our lifetime Toronto, um, Brownsville, I never, i never got to go to Smithton outpouring. Now I will say, now that I'm thinking about this out loud, uh, Randy Clark definitely carries something when he begins to pray. Yeah. I remember mean, the first time I, I was in a meeting with him, and I' just really thankful for my association with him, but I was like, this guy is rambling. And then he started praying. It was like the whole room shifted. More Lord. (laughs) But people in our lifetime, I've heard it's probably Catherine Coleman. Tommy Reeds told the story where in Buffalo, New York on one night, she had a conversation with the Lord for two and a half hours while well, thousands of people watched her have a conversation. She goes, oh, you're here. She totally had lost sense because she wasn't, she wasn't focused on the people. And I've watched clips of her. What does it cost you? It costs you everything. I understand the reason that she talked like that is because her mom taught her talk a certain way proper she's having trouble speaking so that's what she would talk like that but a historical fact is that people have told me they said I'd never sensed anything like that so you could feel a tangible presence you could feel it as she was in the room and I'd never seen a miracle anointing like that and again it was just I think Benny has, has what she carried just five hours of worship and just miracles would take place But historical fact is that she would, um, she lived in Pittsburgh and, um, by the way, a divorced woman too. Really bad mistake in her ministry. I I think God displays people like that to let us know the power of redemption and that you don't have to live in your past no matter how bad the mistake you made was remember years ago, ministering to a lady at a small church in South Carolina, and she said to me, you don't understand, It's was like, you know, ministry time, you don't understand, I knew it was the wrong thing to do, and I did it anyway. I said, yes, it's called sin, but God has a redemption for your sin. She's a divorced woman. And when she started back in her ministry, she would start revival meetings, and they would, um, they would, uh, shut her down, first of all, because she was a woman, then they found out she was divorced. One man called her Jezebel, all this stuff. But historical fact is she would fly out of the Pittsburgh airport, and there was such a a weight of glory on her life that people would just be healed, being fall out and things like that. So they actually told her, like, you're causing too much of a ruckus. You're going to need to have your own private entrance. So they gave her own private entrance when she would fly out. Just kind of escorted her to a plane. And we'll end the plane here tonight, but she was not well. And in her last meeting, one of the men who had been with her for years, uh, he said, You could see she was struggling physically, and she was almost falling down before she went out on the stage. And she he heard the Lord. He heard her pray, and she said, Lord, give me your anointing one more time. She did her last meeting. She was in, actually, Tulsa, Oklahoma, sick in the hospital. And um, Or Roberts told the story that he went to pray with her, and he told his wife, Evelyn. He said, I believe we're going to see a miracle today. And he said, his, the power would come in his right hand when he healed the sick. And he said, I was about to pray for her, And it was like she was trying to send us a message. And he said, Oral, I think she's trying to send the message. He said, Catherine, are you ready to go home? She said, I'm done. And She died within 24 hours. And he said, I prayed that the same anointing would just let her transition to glory. We didn't pray for her to be healed. But she was asked, I think, at least a few, maybe a year before she died by a reporter. Have you ever seen... Jesus, and she said, "No, amazing ministry, but never saw like like us charismatic. Like we see everything. You know. <laughs> I think I might take her results. <laughs> now, forgive me, Lord. But <laughs> and then he followed up a question. She says, "Well, what will you say when you see him? I'm going to tell him I did my best. I did my best." And we know, out of our bellies will flow rivers of living water. Out of our bellies will flow rivers of living waters. By this He spoke of the Holy Spirit who had not been given, but He's given to us. Out of your heart will flow rivers of the Holy Spirit. I don't mention this all the time, but it's raining as a prophetic sign to you. That we're in a season of rain. For he whom God has sent, John 3, speaks the words of God, for God does not give the Spirit by measure. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God for God does not give the Spirit by measure. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God for God does not give the Spirit by measure. Here's some keys and I will close here to becoming a temple of the Holy Spirit, a lifestyle of surrender, a lifestyle of intentional surrender. I don't know any other way. This is not exhaustive, obviously, but here's another one. Be willing to lose all reputation. I'm not purposely trying to offend people, ever. That's weird, too. But I also know, if you go all in with God, and the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. It's not always liked by everyone. I made a commitment many years ago. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care if they roll me around the room. No, I'm serious. I don't care if I ever really even preach intelligently at times. In fact, I will tell say another leading of the Holy Spirit. I, I was like, Honestly, it's just my mind. I was thinking, God just crash in and we'll just lay here tonight. And <laughs> Lord said, "Well, that's what you want. <laughs> Would you like to do what I want?" <laughs> yes, boss. But really, there's a stigma unfortunately attached to people love the Holy Spirit and I've also learned this walking with the Lord that those who break into everything that God has for them must often break past the familiarity of their own family And a, you learn a great and beautiful thing, too, about that. You can honor and love, but you don't have to conform. And Jesus is the standard. When I say that is because we never make other people our standard. Remember years ago, a young lady, we were talking about praying in the spirit, and she goes, well, my mom's a prayer warrior, and she doesn't pray in the spirit. I said, well, your mom's not the standard. I'm sure your mom's a nice person, but she's not the standard. The other part about that is you don't get judged by someone else. What are you going to tell? Well, my parents didn't want me to switch churches. You know, we were all, they liked having dinner after service and it just would have messed everything. Like, that's not going to register. Like, he's not going to look Gabriel go, okay, okay, we get it. They're family, tough family. You know, like, you you get judged for what he asked you to do, not what you do. And then finally is persistence. I remember years ago when I began this journey of trying to know the Lord, and as one thing I really desired, even 25 years ago, I want to know You. And um, I remember like that first day praying in my little dorm room. I still remember it's like a little cubicle they had in these dorm rooms. And uh, it's like I'm a, I'm going to talk to God. And so you know, I start praying, and uh, praying, and praying. Then you start praying for the dog that you had in fourth grade, <laughs> the aunt you haven't thought about in years. You know, like because you're praying, right? And I thought to myself, surely at least 20 minutes had gone by, and like six minutes had gone by. I'm like, how do people do this? It's so boring. No, I'm serious. That's what I thought. I'm, a, I'm an honest person. But I knew something. I knew a biblical truth. James 4, verse 8. Draw near to God, and he's got to draw near to me. You have, you are, you have to come. You can't lie. So I made a commitment. I started, I think, at 10 minutes a day. I'm not moving here. Till, I don't care. I don't care if it's boring. I don't care if anything never happens. I'm staying here every day. And then 10, 20. What I didn't realize back then is you really have to cooperate with the Lord to retrain yourself. And a lot of times, it's not that God is cruel or mean, but I often think God looks for people who will actually take Him at His word the kingdom of God was never meant to be understood by a casual seeker. Understanding can never come. The understanding that God wanted to give you. That's so why I, I even said Sunday, I was teach, finishing out a series I was teaching and I said, I said I'm just going to tell you, I'm not meaning this to be mean, but coming here once a week to a building is not going to change your life. It's just a part So, Lord, we just commit once again. If you just commit once again, I just encourage you to lift your hands. We commit once again, God, to be your dwelling place. Father, though we've probably done it many times, Lord, we just present our bodies as living sacrifices, God. God, we say we have one life to live, and so we present it back to you, God. God. Everything that you ever intended for it, every, everything that you ever desired from this one given life, we present it once again now. We say we're yours to command, God. We're yours to be led. We want to be led by the Spirit. And you said as many are led by the Spirit. These are the sons of God. So Lord, we, we want to align with that Scripture tonight once again. And so Lord, I just declare as your people align with you, that river that flows on the inside of them begins to flow as never before. A river of understanding, a river of revelation, a, a river of breakthrough. And Lord, I thank you tonight that the angel of breakthrough is here tonight. The angel that breaks people through. The angel that breaks people past limitations. The angel that breaks people past even intellectual understanding. The angel that just, uh, that comes to just sever people from their past. We declare tonight in our opening night that the spirit of breakthrough is now our portion, God. The spirit of breakthrough is now our portion. And that as we begin... Lord, the sixth month of 2022, God, I say, fire of God begin to consume the sacrifice of our lives as never before. Fire expose that which is not of you. Fire bring wisdom and knowledge. God. And Lord, I I just say that that fire baptizes us afresh. Baptizes us afresh. And now Lord, I say that that door now has been open. I declare tomorrow morning there's encounter. I declare tonight is encounter. I declare that weight of God, that glory, that glory, that glory that you desire for each of us is now resting in a new way in the name of Jesus.